0: Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Ireland Creates, the podcast about Ireland's wonderful storytellers. I'm your host, Aisling O'Rourke. In this episode, I speak with Dublin-based painter Denise French about starting off in college at the age of 40, while at the same time taking care of three small children at home, and we talk about how her practice has grown and developed in the years since. I really love the emotive nature of Denise's paintings, so it was a pleasure to sit down with her virtually and to have a chat about her work. This week we marked International Women's Day 2021, and as you may remember from last episode, for the month of March, i decided to feature female artists specifically. I want to do my bit to help support women creators. However, I know it's not enough. I want to make Ireland create a podcast that represents the wealth of talent that we have here in Ireland storytellers originally not from Ireland but have made this wee green isle their home to storytellers from the LGBTQ community minority groups and more I genuinely want this podcast to be an inclusive place where storytellers living in Ireland or with a connection to Ireland have a chance to share their story regardless of their origins, sexual orientation or backgrounds. So I'm asking for your help. If you know of a storyteller based here that you would like to hear featured on Ireland Creates, please do reach out make the effort to get in touch with me through my website, aislingarourke.com and let me know. If I don't know about them, I can't feature. So please do let me know if there's somebody that you would like to hear from because you, the listeners, is why we do this each and every week. Please do remember that you can back the podcast on patreon.com forward slash Ireland Creates. And thank you so much to those of you who have already donated to this podcast project. But now on to today's storyteller.
1: My name' is Denise French. Uh, I'm a visual artist. Uh, I'm mostly in painting and drawing and uh, I'm very interested in memories and either exploring old memories or creating new memories and... Uh, I'm kind of interested in happy painting as opposed to mad painting. So that's that's kind of me at the moment. Well, Denise French,
0: thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on Ireland Creates this week. I have been looking to speak to you for quite some time, so I'm delighted that you have agreed. Now, you're you have a very distinctive style of painting and we will talk about that. But let me take uh, you, you right back when you were small was art part of your life? Was it something that you enjoyed to do?
1: Yeah, Ashling. so as, as a little one, I was always scribbling and doodling and painting. And um, my mum was very creative and very entrepreneurial, I suppose, for her time. You know, I'm talking back in the early 70s. We, we always we moved house an awful lot, but we always had seemed to have a garage And in the garage, there was a table tennis table and there was always a craft project going on. Now, usually this would be, you know, we'd be making Christmas logs and she'd sell them at Christmas fairs or stuff where we'd be making dried flower arrangements or whatever. We had a virtual little factory going on in the garage and it was great fun and it was a great way of creating things and making things. And, you know, uh, we just just enjoyed it. It was it was a great way to grow up.
0: It sounds idyllic.
1: Yes, well, sometimes it was hard now when you're wearing those little stupid dried flowers, I tell you, <laughs> take the tops of your fingers off. But mostly it was good fun. And um, yeah, you know, and, and the, the creative stuff was quite encouraged by my mom as as I was growing up and she um, I would have gone for extra art classes because I was really interested was a lovely lady called Miss Nesbitt who I used to go to on a Saturday morning for you know for a couple of years for the the extra classes and I loved it but unfortunately when it came to actually doing it as a career uh, I left school in 1979 and it art in in kind of the world of having a job mm. and in my family it didn't really seem to be the way to go. So my dad was an accountant, actually, and he just thought not all. No, 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 no. You need to get a proper job. So you need to go and do commerce or whatever, you know. And of course, I dug my heels in and said, no, if I'm not doing art, I'm not doing anything. So um, I didn't go to college at that time. And I worked in the bank, had great fun in the bank, never lifted a brush or a pencil for years. Just gave um, gave it up? Well, it's kind of, yeah, it wasn't really part of my life. I travelled, I worked in the bank here, then I went to the bank in England and I met my husband there. And uh, then we went and lived in New York for a while. And it's funny, it never really occurred to me in New York... You know, I could have gone and done a course. I went to every gallery everywhere I went when I was in London, when I was in in New York. I, I went to all the galleries. I engaged in that way, but I didn't actually make anything. And it was only really when my kids were small that I got back into it because I started having fun with them in the same way as my mom had had fun with me. You know, I started making things and I remember, you're you're too young to remember, but there was a program called Art Attack. Oh, I remember and, it. Oh, do you? I oh, It was I do. fantastic. And we would be glued to it and then we'd be making the things from it. And um, whenever kids would come over to play after school, you know, I had a big plastic table out in the back garden and plastic chairs and they'd all go home with something. And the mums used to say it was better than paying for an art class because they'd come to my house, you know. <laughs> And uh, so, I, you know, I've always engaged my creativity in some way. Um, but not necessarily in a traditional way. And so I guess when um, I started painting again, probably before my third child was born, just by chance. And then I got really interested in it. And I was doing loads of classes and life drawing and really enjoying it. And then eventually uh, when I hit 40, I said, right. have to do something about this. My kids were in—I had two in primary school and one just starting secondary—and I went off and did a portfolio course because I kind of felt at that point, you know, you go to painting classes and they're fabulous and really great for getting, but it's only once a week, and then you're stuck for the rest of the week, and you're kind of not sure and in. And and I also felt if I saw another vase of lilies that I had to paint, I'd probably throw them at the wall, (laughs) getting a bit sick of the lilies. Yeah. Or a a bowl of fruit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just wanted I wanted to get the confidence and to learn more. I wanted to explore more, you know, not just what I could see on the surface of, you know, the bowl of fruit, as you say. And I knew there was more to it.
0: I, I'm delighted you said that about, like, you know, the class being once a week, because I know I felt that like growing up, like I like that. I was going to an art class every week. And um, but I always felt really awkward about maybe taking the, even as an adult, I've gone to art classes, but outside of the class, you kind of go, oh, okay, what do I do with this stuff now that I'm home and I have nobody to tell me what to do? And there's that element of fear um, that you don't necessarily have in an art class. Having said that, <coughs> it's a massive leap to take to go from your once a week class to hitting 40 and deciding to to go to
1: college going to college when the kids were small was a huge leap and i actually didn't intend to go on past the portfolio course i thought well i'll do this portfolio course and that'll that'll do me mm. but when i got there of course everybody was applying to college here was i 40 in a class of 18 year olds yeah and there was a couple of others, there was um, maybe three other people, kind of 40 plus. But everybody was applying for our college and you kind of get swept along on that wave, you know, it's like, oh, sure, look, everybody's doing, sure, I'll apply, why not? Mm-hmm. You know, I I kind of, I suppose I had a little niggle in the back of my head because I never went when I was 16, 17. A little chip As on the shoulder, perhaps? <clears throat> maybe a little bit of that, yeah. So, Anyway, I applied, and um, lo and behold, I got into NCAD and to IADT. There was no one more shocked than myself. But of course, now I had to make a decision. It would have been much easier if I hadn't, because there would have been no decision to make. And I'm looking at these kids, and I'm looking at NCAD, and I'm saying, well, there's no way I can go there because I, I you know, there's no I, can, I can't manage school and kids and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And I actually wanted to be a stay at home mom i I really enjoyed being at home with the kids i I worked in the bank maybe for a couple of years until the second one was born, and then I did part time and that was great and i I did enjoy going in and out. but my main thing was just I worked when they were at school rather than you know full time and mm-hmm. i I really felt privileged to be able to do that. My husband was working abroad quite a lot, so it was important to for me to be there. So I felt, well, maybe I could manage IADT because the kids, I actually live very near there. And the kids are in school kind of almost on either side of IADT. So I thought, OK, look, at, I'll give it a try for a year, see what happens. Nothing lost. And I went in and I, I really, <laughs> I could say I never looked back, but I kind of went from week to week. You know, I went for a few weeks and said, yeah, I can do this. This is fine. And I'm dashing dropping a kid picking up a kid blah blah if I was stuck my mum could actually fill in or my dad could fill in so it was you know or my mother-in-law was great for filling in as well so I, I did have the backup mm-hmm. but um, every so often you know when a project would be going really badly or I'd be having a bad day or I, you know it was too much I'd say right that's it I'm not going in on Monday that's it I've had enough and then Sunday night would come and I'd say oh maybe I'll just do one more week <laughs> 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 so i kind <laughs> of got myself through. I never, I, I couldn't look at a, a three or four year course. I couldn't look down the line too far yeah. because it seemed too daunting to be doing it. Because I didn't really want to not do the kids stuff. I mean, I was still on the school committee. I was still helping do the set design in, in one of my kids' schools. I was still, I did a school magazine in my daughter's school. You know, I was still doing... Mm-hmm all the stuff that I wanted to do that was related to them and their education and their after school stuff. So you know, I kind of compartmentalized it, I I left college at four every day and I picked them up, I did the dinner, I did the mum thing and at eight o'clock I had a little studio in one of the bedrooms in the house. So at eight o'clock I put the, the youngest to bed, told the other two they were in bed in half an hour. And I went into the studio from eight till midnight or one or two in the morning, whatever I had to do. So um, that was the way I got through it. You know, I took those four hours in the middle of the day to look after them and then back in the studio. It was hard work. Where did you find the energy? (laughs) I don't know. I would have quite a bit of energy anyway. Um, But yeah, it was hard work. But you know what? I actually loved it. I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't loved it. I wasn't doing it for anybody except myself. I was... I, I suppose, as you say, I had a bit of a, a you know, a, a chip waiting from years back. It was something that I needed to do to fulfill something. And I'm I'm so glad I did it. I now look back and go, jeepers, how did we fit all that in? Uh, but the kids didn't suffer. And I think it was quite good for them to see that I had something else going on. You know, I didn't have a job. Job wouldn't have suited me at that time, because if anybody was sick, I couldn't have just called my husband for backup. It just wasn't, mm. you know, that that wasn't the way his job worked. So it's it, it worked for us as a family for me to do it that way. And I was delighted I was able to do it. So uh, and I learned so much, you know, um, I guess one of the things that I was really shocked at with college was that I, I thought I was going to go in and learn skills. But in yeah. fact they don't necessarily teach you a lot of skills, but they teach you how to think. Okay. Are, are they 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 get you to learn yourself how to think I yeah. suppose, but you know, I already knew how to paint. I already knew how to draw. I think uh, your guest last week um, was saying that she she's a photographer and she said that she knew how to take photographs. So when she went to college, she was quite surprised that it wasn't just all about taking photographs. Yeah. Um. But I. I knew how to paint, I knew how to make things, I knew how to sew, I knew how to do an awful lot of stuff like that. And I had done lots of life drawing classes and all that. So I actually, I kind of had an edge on a lot of the kids coming in because they just had school art. Some of them had done portfolios, of course, and, and some of them were just so so naturally talented. It was fantastic to look at them producing things. They didn't even know how they did it. You know, there was mm-hmm. just there was no effort. Some of them were fantastic, but I, I would I personally thought, oh, God, no, I'd like I'd like you to teach me, show me how to do these things. And they were going, no, no, if, if you want to learn that, you just you can do a course. You know, if you want to be a welder, go and do a welding course and come back and then we'll teach you how to think a sculpture, you know. So it was it was not what I was expecting. But it was very good learning as well because they made you question things. They made you justify why you were making something. Um, you know, you couldn't just produce something and say, there's my project. You had to back it up with an idea, a concept, um, a reason, you know. You had to be able to stand to over
0: it and say, <coughs> well, look, this is why I've done this. And, this is, and exactly. yeah, that's a fair point. But actually, yeah. I decided to do it this way because...
1: Exactly. So it's not just the bowl of fruit because the bowl of fruit was sitting there in front of you. Exactly. You know, I mean, the bowl of fruit has to be telling you something about, you know, there has to be a concept around it. And and then, and you know, and the way I feel with, with my work now is um, there is a concept behind it. I actually don't mind if people aren't looking for that concept. Um, you know, I know it's there. So- and so I'm not... I'm not sending a a particular message. If people get the message and a lot of people do, then that's fine. But I'm not looking to push that on people either.
0: I said at the start of our chat, you have a very distinctive style. And I think I'd like to think now that I've followed your work for a while, that I'd (laughs) pick your work out in a group show. But and you said you didn't learn skills in college. I'm really curious, where did this style come from?
1: I think you develop a style um, so in college I would have been painting lots of different things and my painting technique when I arrived would have been quite tight and representational you know I would have prided myself on if, if a bowl of fruit would look exactly like a bowl of fruit you know <laughs> and so I, I kind of found it hard to, to loosen that style up um, but I suppose over time So when I when I finished college, I had about five or six styles going on and doing different things. And then I I refined it down to it It was kind of a semi-abstract conceptual style. And my first show uh, was called The Journey, and it was about going through, there was a lot of images of light, kind of an like almost like a tunnel type thing and a light. So it was like I was searching for something, I suppose. And I'd spent a lot of time working through the concept and the, you know, the proposal of that and whatever. But it was, the, the, the paintings were quite fluid. There was a lot of movement in them. And I think I've kept movement has has always been in my paintings. Um, and over the years, so I, I went from the abstract style to, I just suppose over the years, it's developed into what it is now. And I'm very happy at the last five, six years. I've been painting in a similar way. And somebody had told me I graduated in 2006. And I remember at the time um, a collector saying to me, you know, he said, look, I, I'm watching artists for years and years and years. And he said, you know, don't stagnate. But he said, if "What you're doing now is interesting, but it won't always be like this." And he said, "You will find your style." But he said, "I think people take about ten years after they lose, after they leave college, to find their particular style." And I would say that's—I—I I had forgotten that. And and you know, about a couple of years ago, I went, "God, you know, I think Vincent was actually right." Because it was about 2016, 17, maybe I had a show in Signal Arts, Centre and Bray. And I realized this is actually, it's a loose style. It's not hard and fast. Mm -hmm. I don't paint the same painting because that bore the pants off me. But there is a style becoming apparent in the last five, six years. And I'm enjoying that. And I try and challenge that. Um, So... A couple of years ago, I, I so for the for the last number of years, I did a, I did a sorry, I'm rambling a bit on my Ashling. No, you're going. <laughs> I did a creative writing course and it developed memories. I had always been looking at memories and journeying through life and the way we layer memories one on top of the other. So even within a family you know, the, the the memory of the same event within two siblings who were at the same event will be completely different because yeah. they'll interpret it in a different way. And so I feel that, you know, stories and memories are laid down in layers and layers and layers and, and they're completely different. Like in, in your work, the way you tell stories is quite different to somebody telling the same story, somebody else telling it. So. I feel like that in in my family when I started to question my brothers and sisters about certain things when we were kids they're going oh no it didn't happen like that happened like this so that was interesting so on this creative writing course um I was investigating you know a time she was bringing us back to you know when when we had lovely relaxing nice memories and whatever and I had this lovely memory of my grandfather who um died when I was seven but we used to go on picnics. Uh, They lived in Inchicore and we would go to the Memorial Park and to the Phoenix Park with the dog and the picnic and we'd lie in the grass and we'd watch the clouds go by and we'd watch the grass moving and I have this lovely memory of nothing to do and all day to do it and I thought you know we've all lost that we're all running around like lunatics trying to get everything done and keep everybody to happy. Keep and, everyone yeah. happy. And especially, as you can imagine, I told you the story of my college experience. So I'm a busy person. I'm always busy. Even when I was in college and you know, all that busyness, I still fitted in a couple of games of tennis a week and, <laughs> you know, whatever else. So I'm envious of your energy I, levels. <laughs> yeah. So I just started to say, OK, this is interesting. I, I like this image. In my head, so I started painting these skies and grasses and meadows and and it was so different to my abstract work. And yet when I look back at the abstract work, I can see the development of it mm. in a funny way. Um, and so that's when I, I upped my drawing practice as well. And in my the drawings I I would often put words and writing and little stories in tiny, tiny writing, so you wouldn't even see it, but they're part of the drawing. And um, so so the, the meadows and the drawings are similar strands of the same idea about memories and layering things and just a nice, relaxing feeling and trying to bring people back to so they're not of anywhere in particular, although sometimes I do name places. I spend a lot of time in Wexford and, you know, I'd often name a field in Wexford or a, a hill or something. But it doesn't really matter where they are. It's where they bring you. And what I really loved is is, is quite often people will come back and go, oh, I just it's such a lovely, you know, brought me back to my childhood when I was making Daisy Chains or, mm-hmm. you know, the sand dunes at Curricloe and one woman bought a painting a couple of years ago in a gallery in Wexford and she actually sent me a photograph of the painting on her kitchen wall in London because she said every morning they come down for breakfast and they think they're on their holidays again. You know, it's it's a memory of the holidays. So that's a nice overlap. You know, she didn't buy it because she knew I had anything to do with memories, but she created her own memory around a painting. So that was lovely.
0: I love the way you think about memory and the layering of it. Like, I remember speaking uh, a few years back to one of my dad's siblings and, oh, your dad, like, geez, he's got uh, very strange opinions about what our life was like growing up. Sure, like, when I hear him talking about it, it's like he grew up in a different house.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, now she didn't mean it in a bad way. We We were kind of having a joke between the two of us. But, like, it is very subjective. Storytelling is... You know, we bring to it our own life experience and our own interpretation of it. And it can um, it can create really interesting results
1: absolutely yeah absolutely and and you know each child in a family is reared by different parents when you think about it because the parents have had different experiences as they approach each child Mm -hmm. you know and i see that even with my own kids um like i i I will have reared them all in in a slightly different way you know the first poor one you're practicing on really (laughs) the second one you're going okay i think i have it and then the third one you're going oh yeah whatever whatever you want to do it's fine (laughs) it's just And so that's three different mums completely. I mean, my eldest would often say, oh, you were so hard on me, you know, <laughs> and I'd say, well, you know, that's life. <laughs> that's what happens. But they those three grew up and they're and they're good pals and, you know, they're great siblings and they're great kids. But they, they did have three different experiences, I guess, if you asked them about the same holiday they'd all tell you different things or about the same event or whatever, you know. So I think that's common. It was the same in my family, probably the same in yours. And, you know, it's important that we all have our own stories to tell anyway, because it'd be very dull if we all remembered exactly the same thing.
0: Exactly. We you need know, to leave room for along, the, yeah.
1: the grey areas. That's what makes life much yeah, more interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So you have been working on developing this style and and dare I say, maybe developing your own confidence in it over the past number of years. And you have in the meantime, so you're known for your painting work, but the drawing work has seems to have been a part of it all the way through. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about, about the drawing? I know you have, um, uh, you, you said there that you sometimes use words as your creative writing um, course coming in there. But where does that come from?
1: So the drawing, I think, was always very important to me in that um, I used to, I suppose years ago, I used to look at abstract work, you know, the, the real splashy mad work and go, oh, sure, anybody could do that. Mm. And then when I went to try and do it, I realized, well, no, anybody can't do that. It's actually really quite hard to make something, to make sense of something in an abstract form. So I found that very interesting. And I realized that underlying a lot of abstract work is good drawing, good foundations, good thinking, you know, good concepts. So even though I didn't really exhibit my drawings for years, I didn't show anybody my drawings, but I was drawing away quietly, you know, and it was in my notebooks. I'd have little things going on. And I suppose I'd be, instead of writing words, I'd be writing pictures, you know, if Mm. I was trying to remember something. So um, then... And I loved the life drawing. Again, I never exhibited it, but I, I enjoyed doing it. And the kids would be mortified if they their friends were in and they'd be in the... You know, if I'd come in from a class and I'd happen to leave one of my life drawings <laughs> lying around, you know, teenage boys just die when they find their mother's life drawings around the place. Yeah, because anyway. Mammy's
0: not supposed to know yeah. anything about that no, sort of thing. No, 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 yeah. that
1: doesn't happen. But yes, yeah, so the drawing, I, I developed quietly for a long time. And... and it was important to me that I that I could continue that's, that that discipline of drawing I suppose and um, now I suppose it's it's a way of working out ideas for me the drawings and then it, it, so when I'm when I want to start some new painting let's say if I'm, I'm looking for a, a new idea for paintings because I really can't. I might paint a couple of paintings that are similar, but I, I move on every couple of months. I'm doing something different, you know, like mm-hmm. I've gone from meadows now to seascapes and sometimes I go back to meadows. But I, I like the challenge of doing something new. But I'll, I'll sit and I'll, and I'll draw really, you know, very precise drawings of what the painting might be. And then I put the drawings away and I do the painting and it's usually completely different. But I have to do the drawing first. Okay. As a foundation for a series. Now, I wouldn't do a drawing for every painting. But um, the words started coming in when I did the creative writing course. And at the same, around about the same time, um, there was a tree in our garden that had to get cut down. It was a tree that the kids had climbed for years and years. And I was drawing the tree and I started writing in the words in between the lines in the drawing, just in a very loose kind of way, you know, the things that you would have said to the kids like get down out of that, you'll fall and break your neck or, you know, it, it was such a strong memory for me, all the different kids and I wrote the kids names in like the, the friends of my children and all this. So the tree was kind of the start of that. And then I just if I'm if I'm doing a drawing and some words occur to me, I, I'll put the words in, but they're kind of concealed, you know, they're not necessarily visible. Um, because they're so small, but the, the words are there. And that's part of the concept for me, I suppose.
0: It's just fascinating to hear you talk about your work um, and to hear like all of that thought that goes in there, because I think you're right. I think when you go down anything close to an abstract route, there can be from people outside of the art world, a bit of a snobbery around it, like, you know, and like that attitude of I'm sure anybody could do it. Mm-hmm. um. So I think it's really interesting to hear, you know, what, what goes into all of these things um, and the the, the concepts uh, behind them. And I know recently you've taken to, like during lockdown and all of that, you've taken to, well, pushing your drawings more publicly.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm enjoying it. And I'm getting a great response because I wasn't expecting it, actually. And um A lot of people are really enjoying the drawings and um, I've kind of loosened up the drawings now a bit. Uh, So I I draw with pen. Um, I don't normally draw a pencil. I draw a pen because you can't change pen. Once you put a mark down, it's down and there's no rubbing it out or fussing with it or fixing it. It's just, you know, and once you put a memory down, it's there. Do you know, once something's happened in your life, you're not going to go back and change it. So I, that's that's why I started using the pen, because okay. I said, well, whatever goes down on the page is what goes down on the page. I'm not going to be trying to fix it. And um, so it, it it has made me sharper with my drawings, probably. And I've also tried to incorporate a little bit of a bit of looseness. So while the pen is a little bit tight, I I kind of tend to splash some paint on because that's the, the happy accident. So. More than half the drawings end up in the bin, in fact, because either I'm not happy with the pen result or I've splashed way too much or (laughs) whatever. So the element of chance, I enjoy the element of chance and you have to not be precious about the work. So if you you've done this perfect little drawing and you're going, oh, that's a lovely little drawing. That's great. And you go to put the paint on it then. That's the really scary bit because the paint is random and it's splashy and it could be a disaster. I mean, I had I had finished one that I was really pleased with one day. (laughs) I went to splash. I dropped the flipping paintbrush right in the middle of it. So that was the end of that (laughs) in the bin, but that's okay. That's the nature of us. You know, it's a bit like I did a, a lot of set design in the kids schools, you know, and you do, you spend months working on these backs, backdrops and things, and then they're painted over six months later. (laughs) You know, so you just have to not be precious. You just let it go, you know. Like they say in uh, the film industry, your babies end up on the cutting room floor. Yeah, exactly. And the seascapes that I'm doing now came from that kind of chance. You know, I I love a bit of chance. I love a bit of accident and happy accident and whatever. And um, I was out for a walk about three or four years ago on uh, Kilmore Quay Beach. And it was absolutely wild. It was stunning stunning but it was so wild you could hardly walk and the waves were splashing and the colors were you know some Mm -hmm. days uh, when when there's a storm the color is just all gray but this day for whatever reason I I was lit up or the sky was lit up I don't know but the colors were fabulous the waves are splashing and I just thought it's so exhilarating. And normally my paintings are relaxed and calm. You're lying in the grass, you're chilling out. And I thought this is exhilarating. This would be a really nice contrast and a nice challenge to try and capture that atmosphere of the splashing, crashing kind of waves. So um, that's what I've been working on the last couple of years is these mad crashing waves and every so often it gets too intense i go back into a few nice gentle meadows (laughs) and then back to the crashing waves and i'm and i'm enjoying it and again people are getting that feeling of exhilaration from the paintings it doesn't matter if it's kilmore or kerry or you know donegal it's it's the excitement of the splash you know when you dive into the water or when you're walking on the beach and the the, the wind is rising or whatever um so yeah I love that people get from the paintings that relaxed feeling of the meadows and the, the challenging kind of invigoration of the the waves and then with the, the drawings are just something in between the two I suppose and um but the drawings are important to me and actually I've, I've started making um because so many people were interested in the drawings and they're they're tough to exhibit and they're expensive to frame and everything and i kind of wanted to make them a bit more accessible to people Mm -hmm. so um i started making greeting cards from them so i'm selling those and, and people are loving them and in fact some people are framing them and you know i think that's i like getting my work out there i it's nice to earn a little bit of money from it but it's not why i make it i make it to to communicate
0: I think the, one of the silver linings, and I think, to be honest, given the year that we've all had, I think we need to be looking for silver linings in order to help us get through what we're going through. Mm-hmm. But one of the silver linings to me seems to be that um, outside of the creative world, more people in Ireland are appreciating things, uh, whether it be food or art, that's made in Ireland and made locally. And they're no longer wanting to, well, go on to the Hallmark shop and pick up a greeting card. They want absolutely. to buy something and say, "Oh, that's a local artist," you know. Yeah. Um, we we're, we're, I think, we're taking more pride in supporting our own country.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I've, uh, you know, over the last—I suppose twelve months. I was going to say six months, but it just really has been twelve yeah, months. Yeah, it has now. Right? Um, I, I've seen a, a lot more interest in my work and, you know, maybe I've, I've given it a bit more time on Instagram or whatever, because I haven't been going out as much. But I do see a lot of Irish artists uh, having, you know, people are more interested and people want to know why we're doing what we're doing. And and it's been interesting to see people do the, um, you know, 5K projects like a lot of my drawings are within my 5K. And another project I was involved in in the early part of the lockdown was the portraits for the HSE heroes. Yes, which was great, and I did three different portraits. And I, again, I, I, but portraits wouldn't be a thing that I do, you know. But I was contacted, and uh, you're only supposed to do one, but your three people asked me, so I did three. And um, I think they were happy with the results, and I certainly enjoyed doing them. And I felt like I was. Contributing to something, a little give back to the frontline workers. So obviously, the you know they were nominated. So a friend would get in touch and say, "Will you do so and so?" And then I would just you know it was a gift. It wasn't there was no payment received, obviously, but it was really nice to feel that you're a part of supporting uh, those workers. And you know, and a lot of people then are supporting artists. So it's really nice because so, so many people's livelihoods have gone by the by. It's nice to see everybody supporting each other.
0: Yeah, there is a sense of, and hopefully we'll stick with it, but a, a sense of, uh, as Jared Byrne uh, the other week on the podcast said, like the energy that goes into a piece of work, I think there's a there's a collective energy at the moment in, in, in getting us all through this together and, yeah. and, and trying to take pride in, in ourselves as, as a nation. Yeah, and it's not, I think,
1: I think, we. I hope we learn some really nice things out of this, you know, about supporting each other and being there for each other. And uh, yeah, there there has been, there has been a kind of a coming together, hasn't there, on some mm. levels? I mean, I know some people are having a really hard time, but, um, you yeah, know, we're nearly there. We're nearly there.
0: <laughs> there is light at the end of the tunnel, I there really do is.
1: hope. yeah, there certainly is.
0: So, Denise French. We are, um, I suppose, coming close to time. So I'm going to ask you, and I think you've probably uh, answered it in your own way um, uh, throughout the conversation today, but I know you talk about the concepts that goes behind um, each and every piece of work that you do and the memories that form part of that. But obviously, I suppose I come from the storytelling side of things. So I'm wondering what, what storytelling does mean to you?
1: Yeah, so storytelling. I I think you know that the earliest storytelling was probably visual, you know, in the, the Paleolithic caves in Lascaux in France. You know, so very early stories were made by drawings and paintings. And to me, storytelling is a way of in communicating your world to somebody else and inviting them into your world. Uh, and so I think. You can storytell with words, with drawings, with paintings and with the oral tradition, you know, and I guess, you know, I, I, I think I'm storytelling with what I'm doing, you know, with, with my visual work. Um, I wouldn't know how to write a story, but I think I know how to tell a story visually. Uh, yeah, so that's, and I think it's important that we tell stories in lots of different ways with our memories and with our drawings and with our words with whatever we can.
0: Well, Denise French, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak to you on uh, the podcast here on Ireland Create. Thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Ashling. I really enjoyed our chat.
0: Thanks again to Denise French for speaking with me. You can check out Denise's work on denisefrench.net or search for Denise French Artist on Instagram or Facebook. That's it for this week. Thank you again to those of you who've already backed the podcast on patreon.com. Please do remember, I really do appreciate all of your support. Have a great week. Stay safe and remember to share your story.